0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. I'm your host Farmers Guardian news editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes. On the show this week, we take a look at what the newly seen plans for the Environmental Land Management Strategy, or ELM as it's known, tell us about the post-Brexit Agri-Environment Scheme and what it will mean for farmers. We also ask how the new green watchdog, the Office for Environmental Protection, which DEFRA is recruiting for now, will hold the government to account and ask if it will really deliver for the environment. But first, and it's on to two stories the FG Business Desk is working on at the moment. The major COVID-19 outbreak at a two sisters plant in Scotland, and also British sugar contracts for 2021 have finally been announced, but not without some controversy. I'm pleased to say we've got our business reporter Alex Black here with me now to delve into those in a bit more detail.
1: This autumn, every percent of grass Control matters. That's why at Bayer we're bringing you an online hub full of our latest insight and expert advice on controlling blackgrass to help you get the best start to the season. Search online for Bayer Critical Advantage to find out more.
0: Firstly Alex, COVID-19's impact on the processing industry has been well documented hasn't it and Major Chicken Processor 2 Sisters is now battling this huge outbreak in Cooper Angus. What's the latest on that? So there's now over 150 cases in the workforce, 18 of their contacts have also
2: tested positive for it. It's a massive processor so there's Over 1,200 staff members when you count agency staff. They've all been told to self isolate until August 31st, and the household contacts have now been told they must self isolate until August 31st as well. There were worries for the supply chain. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon raised concerns over animal welfare implications and said they were working with Two Sisters. Two Sisters have assured us that they've got contingency plans in place. And the poultry that they should be processing is now being processed at other sites.
0: So farmers that are supplying the plant shouldn't see any differences. Wow. Well, that's um, it's such, such a, a massive issue, isn't it? I mean, as you say, there was concerns for the, the, the wider supply chain as well. But I mean, it doesn't look at the moment, does it, that that things have been interrupted? I mean, where are chickens being processed? Two sisters have said that they're being processed at their, their other sites, so we don't know exactly
2: which site that they're being processed in, but they've got other sites in, in England and in and in Wales that the chickens will be being sent to. It's been a big problem sort of around the world, like you mentioned, the meat plants have been spreading it, particularly in the US and, and Germany, there's been big outbreaks linked to meat plants there, so... It's a big problem. They're saying that the cold surfaces could help with the uh, spread of the virus as well as the working conditions when you're in a boning hall. You have to be very close to somebody. It's difficult to social distance as well as the living conditions of the of workers in many, many places that they're living in, communities where they're, they're close to the rest of the workers, so it spreads very easily
0: among the workforces. Yeah, and and that's I know it's an issue that other farms, there was obviously the big fruit farm in Herefordshire that that went down with a a major outbreak a few weeks ago, so I'm guessing that this probably isn't going to be the last. So on to another story that you're covering this week, Alex. So sugar contracts have finally been announced, haven't they? But they're going to look a little bit different next season, aren't they? Yes, so the big thing that they're talking about is two new
2: risk management tools that they've introduced this season. Virus Yellows, there's a new Virus Yellows Assurance Fund. That's been a big issue for growers this year. The aphids that carry virus yellows have seemed to have a boost from the warm weather earlier in the spring, which has spread it amongst the crop. We used to use neonicotinoids to treat the aphids, uh, but since the ban, that tool's not available to growers. So there's now a £12 million fund that's backed by British Sugar, which will compensate for a proportion of yield losses due to virus yellows. The other risk management tool they're talking about is a link to the futures market. So for the first time, growers will be able to look at a variable price contract and they'll be able to access the futures market and decide when to fix the price of their beet. That's a pilot scheme that's running this year. Price-wise... The one-year contract for 2021 will pay £20.30 per adjusted tonne... ...with a market bonus triggered when the adjusted EU reference price exceeds €375 per tonne. And the three-year contract that runs from uh, 2021 to 2023 will pay £21.18 per adjusted tonne... ...with a market bonus triggered when the adjusted EU reference price exceeds €400 per tonne. We have seen some reaction on social media to that with growers saying that it's not enough. Obviously, there's big risks. We're talking about virus yellows, big risks with growing it with, with that so prevalent uh, and whether people will be keeping up with growing the crop in light of the Neonix ban. Obviously, that depends on you know, the individual farm of how, how it pays for them and uh, how valuable it is to their rotation
0: as well. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, that certainly sounds like one to watch.
1: CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this COVID crisis, the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more, go to www.cla.org.uk.
0: Now, it's the scheme that's going to take over from the beleaguered countryside stewardship scheme and hopefully cushion businesses when direct payments start to fall away after Brexit. But industry chiefs have had a first glimpse of the new proposals and they look remarkably similar to the old scheme. So why does this pose a problem and what will farmers have to do to qualify for payments? Well, Jess Fredenberg has been finding out.
3: Leaving the EU will be a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create a better, more sustainable, progressive and globally competitive UK farming sector. So promised Michael Gove and many other Brexit proponents in government. Yet, documents seen last week outlining the new environmental land management scheme suggest little change from current agri-environment schemes. Crucially, it shows farmers will not be paid for the value of the environmental services they provide and will instead only receive money for income forgone plus costs. Farmers will be paid for actions rather than outcomes and direct payments will be wound down quickly with farmers anticipated to lose half their basic payment scheme claim by 2024. So quite a change. Let's find out what's going on. George Dunn, Chief Executive of the Tenant Farmers Association, is on the line. George, this is really very different to what has been promised, isn't it?
4: It's massively different. We've had four years of discussions with DEFRA on and off, um, and those discussions originally started with, you know, great aspirations of what we could do differently outside the scope of EU regulations, but we uh, appear to have got something now as the consultation document issued back in February, which uh, lacks any of that aspiration or any of that hope that we could do something massively different.
3: Mm. And there are, there are quite a few things in there that are potentially a little bit concerning, would you say?
4: Yeah, so the focus on income foregone as a reward system is something we're very disappointed about when we were hoping that we would have a system of of proper uh, reward for farmers to be involved in these schemes. Also, there is, uh, similarly with previous schemes that we've had, a focus on activity rather than outcomes. And again, we all thought we would be moving into a different space in terms of looking at outcomes or proxies for outcomes at least, rather than just actions.
3: So what what are the, the absolute key things that this document reveals about how how Elms will probably look now?
4: Well I think people would be um, not far off the mark if they looked at things like ELS, the environment the, the entry level scheme and the higher level scheme. And just saw a basic extension of those elements because that's effectively what we are getting. We're getting a tiered system, mainly based on actions rather than outcomes, with a menu of things that you can uh, buy into, and you can look at doing things at a at a small scale or at a larger scale. So it it is it is very similar to some of the schemes that we've seen relatively recently.
3: So it's a bit of a copy and paste job by the looks of it.
4: It seems to us to be the case. And I think, you know, we've 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 obviously had some great difficulty in terms of the current situation with dealing with COVID-19. We understand that. Um, we've had the political impasse in terms of the way in which we have arranged our exit from the European Union, and we understand that. Um, but having got our hands on the levers of agricultural policy for the first time in 40 years, we ought to be doing things well rather than just doing things because we need to do something. And there is a sense in which we are at a stage where the government's just keen to do something rather than do something very well.
3: It, yeah, it, one has to wonder maybe what they've what they been doing all this time. But um... I
4: think what's most disappointing, Jez, is that we had hoped that we would see the new policy environment operate more within a systems approach. So we've got issues about international trade. We've got issues around productivity and skills. We've got issues around... The climate uh, policy, we've got issues around biodiversity, we've got supply chain issues and the Agriculture Bill has got some things to say about supply chains. Um, And then we've got Elm. And I think the difficulty that we have is how all of these things fit together in order to create a coherent, whole and viable policy for UK agriculture. So we are still operating very much in silos rather than looking at policy in a across-the-piece systems approach because if we are going to see a profitable, resilient agricultural industry which is delivering for the environment, delivering for animal welfare and delivering profitability, we do need the government to become more systems-oriented rather than doing things in silos. And ELM has certainly been a policy developed within a silo.
3: Did you think that this would happen? I mean, after, like you said, there's been four years of discussion with DEFRA. Did it feel through those discussions that that was something that was understood, that more systemic, more system-based approach? Well,
4: I think there was certainly a lot of hope around the discussions that we have had previously with DEFRA. And we also had the Food and Farming Commission report uh, that the RSA uh, helped uh, produce, which looked from a external from government perspective into what we needed as a uh, as, as a nation, and they very much looked at uh, future policy being uh, from from a systemic approach. But I think we've just got ourselves into a bit of a rut, and I'm not blaming anybody for where we've got to. We did have the political impasse. We have had to deal with COVID-19, but now there just appears to be a rush to get things done rather than taking the time that we should be taking in order to ensure that we have a good, sustainable and robust policy going forward. So this is not about just trying to hang on to the stuff that we've had previously. It's about having a proper pause to say, okay, we have had a difficult time, but let's take the time to put together a proper package for the long term. I mean, obviously, uh, we are still pleased that the government is committed to the funding to the industry into the long term, and we are at least pleased to see that the government is keen to ensure that uh, there is a viable uh, scheme for farmers to enter. But we don't want this to be just another scheme, we want this to be the best scheme. That we could possibly produce, and in the circumstances of leaving the European Union, one of the things that farmers were told and given an assurance about was that um, we would be able to do things differently. And it's a great shame now that we are just doing something because we can, rather than because we should be doing it in a, in a really good way.
3: Where do we go from here, George? You know, is is this is this the end of the line for it? Do you think, or is there still? Um, a chance to, to rescue it and and build something that is, like you said, that is different and progressive?
4: Yeah, I think over the past literally weeks, Jez, um, there has been a massive ramping up of, of activity in terms of engagement on this policy space. And certainly we've had much more engagement over the past few weeks with, with DEFRA and Natural England officials than we have done Uh, over the past uh, little while during the the, the peak of the coronavirus uh, issues. Um, So at least there is activity. We just now need to turn that activity into progress.
2: You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today.
3: That was George Dunn from the Tenant Farmers Association. Anyone heard of the Office for Environmental Protection? As the UK fully leaves the EU, the government plans to introduce this new watchdog to hold it to account on environmental targets. So how could this watchdog we'll call it the OEP, impact farmers in terms of new agricultural schemes, trade deals, budgets, or is it all greenwash? The draft proposal has already come under heavy criticism for a lack of independence and power. So all this needs digging into. To do that, I'm joined by Mike Holland, Secretary and Advisor at the Agricultural Law Association. So what do we know at this point then, Mike? What? exactly the OEP is likely to be doing, like the, the sorts of areas that it's likely to be working in, the sorts of statutory duties that it might have.
1: Uh, well, Joe, thanks very much for uh, inviting me along to, to discuss this with you. I mean, the principal objective of the OEP is to contribute to the environmental protection of the UK and the uh, improvement of the uh, natural environment. And obviously it remains to be seen whether those principal objectives and functions change as the legislation passes through Parliament. You know, this is there to really oversee the way in which government delivers on its objectives in the 25-year environment plan. The OEP's functions will be to say, well, is government meeting those overall objectives? If it is, can there be improvement? If it isn't where does that improvement need to be and where there are significant failings to call government to account in ensuring that they address those shortcomings. And I think you'll find that, you know, one of the OEP's functions is that they will have to deliver a a report to the Secretary of State each year on the progress that they consider government is making towards those objectives. And I think the other point to make, and particularly for our sector and particularly for you know, farmers and contractors and all those that are occupying and managing land on the ground. This is not a replacement for the Environment Agency. The Environment Agency sits there, it carries on its enforcement role, it carries on its 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 own duties. This is an extra layer of policy oversight uh, that is being put in place under the new legislation.
3: The proposal's have been criticised. There are people that have said that the OEP will not have enough resources to do what is being proposed. There's others that have said that actually, even though the OEP will have to report to the minister, ministers will not be required to present those findings to Parliament. So, what what is going on here? Like, you know, do you think that the OEP is going to be fit for purpose? Is it really going to be able to scrutinise those environmental targets, and will it have the power to do anything about it?
1: Well, it's a good question because, of course, we're dealing with two very different-sized organisations. On the one hand, we have the EU Commission, which is the all-singing, all-dancing mammoth organisation that it is, uh, and of course, it has incredibly broad powers. Let's let's be honest: the OEP has a very specific function. Its resources can't be compared to the Commission. So, I think you know it would be wrong for anyone to suggest that you know we we've got an equal body in the OEP. Having said that, the legislation does require that the OEP reports. It does require that the Secretary of State takes account of that report in publishing their general report on the 25-year environment plan. And I think that does offer the means by which the government is scrutinised. As with much of this, the proof is going to be in the pudding. We will need a period of time... With the OEP in place, to understand how well it is performing that function, and and quite frankly, is government listening to them? I, I think government will have to listen to them. I don't think the way in which the OEP is required to report and the way in which the Secretary of State is required to respond to that that actually there'll be much hiding place for the government. And, and, I, and I'm not suggesting the government wish to hide, but I'm suggesting that you know it's going to be a pretty Dare I say, transparent process at that point, and again, proofs in the pudding, won't it? But for the farming community, I, I, I think the way in which the OEP's functions are delivered, the requirement for it to look at things on an annual basis, that ultimately I think will start to feed down to policies like ELMS. Because if it isn't satisfied that government is meeting various objectives under the 25 year environment plan that it will i would imagine look at all avenues to how that might be addressed now you know if there is a particular shortcoming where the elm scheme can provide uh, further support then of course that's likely to impact on farmers now i use the word impact i mean there may well be opportunities there and i think you've got to yeah you've got to look at you know the two sides of the coin
3: one issue that has been raised about the oep is that it looks at the moment with the draft legislation it looks like it won't have the power or the duty to really sort of scrutinize government budget potentially a huge issue particularly if we're talking about elms and what kind of budget that is going to be like you know how are farmers going to be able to deliver those environmental targets which the government has been talking about this week in fact if the you you know we we could end up I suppose with a situation where the you know there are all these targets the watchdog is trying to scrutinize those targets ensure they're met but then perhaps the budget isn't big enough and the watchdog isn't involved in uh dealing with that budget so you know (laughs) I guess it is do you think is that likely to be an issue or What what could happen there?
1: If UK government of whatever colour is determined to deliver on the 25-year environment plan objectives, then by implication, if there are improvements that have to be made, it has to find the budget to do so. I slightly couch that comment to avoid any naivety, but it it, it sort of follows, doesn't it, that if, if you accept a recommendation to do something, then you've got to find the means to do it.
3: Obviously, you know, a really important thing for farmers listening to this is how trade deals might go ahead in relation to standards around food safety, environmental standards, welfare standards, etc. Do you think that the OEP will will be able to be involved in that in some way and have some kind of um, power or duty to scrutinise those uh, those trade deals? to ensure that they do not undermine environmental standards?
1: I don't think it will, in all honesty. I mean, before we sort of came on air, as it were, I, I sort of checked myself again. I, I had a look at the trade bill and the environment bill and searched the environment and trade respectively in each, and and, and, and it didn't come up. So, I, I, you know, there is, nothing, there is nothing in the environment bill that gives the OEP that function.
3: Is that odd? Quite, quite... Do you think that's odd?
1: Well, uh, I'm no trade expert, but... I think it's for government to pull these various pieces of legislation and objectives together. It is just very clear that the OEP will not have a remit in trade.
3: If, sorry, Mike, I was just saying, and this is an you know, ignorant question, but if, if the OEP is not going to have oversight of environmental targets and issues in trade deals, then who would or what would?
1: Come back to the government's principal functions uh, in in these pieces of legislation. It's got a 25-year environment plan that is committed to meeting the objectives of. The Environment Bill is coming forward in Parliament to deliver on that. It's got a Trade Bill that deals with trade. It seems to me that we've got one common denominator, which is the government itself. So, you know, you you either deliver on your environmental objectives or you don't. If there are other pieces of legislation which might run the risk of undermining another piece of legislation, then clearly government have got to keep that... They've got to consider how they deal with that.
3: DEFRA recently started recruitment for the new chair of the OEP. I mean, this in itself has been criticised since ministers will have the power to appoint that person, but what kind of person are you hoping is appointed and what is the risk of a lack of <laughs> independence from government in a, in appointing that person.
1: Yeah. Well I well I think it's it's obviously a good start that it's an appointment which has been publicly advertised and, and obviously not a you know an internal a- appointment. And I think this whole issue of independence has been long running with the OEP ever since it was first proposed. Uh, I've sat in a number of open sessions where, 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 where the independence of the OEP has been continually questioned. And, you know, certainly in our representations to the early consultation on the OEP, you know, we made very clear that we expected that, that body to be independent and the board to be independent, uh, as independent of, of government as possible.
0: Thanks to Jez and to Mike Holland and George Dunn as well. Well that's it for this week. Shame the same can't be said for Storm Francis which is battering the southeast at the moment. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platforms to keep notified of new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next week with more. From us at FG and CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.